irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza and Marvin Smith, right here on LA Talk Radio. Well, here we go. Another edition of Answers for the Family. I am your host today, Marvin Smith. My cohort, my buddy, my friend, Alan, will not be with us this morning. Well, you know, it's morning on the West Coast and it's afternoon on the East Coast. So, Wherever you are in the world, welcome to Answers for the Family. Now, each week, we will bring you guests that will inspire, educate, and in some cases, outright entertain you, while bringing you answers and options to raising children today in our constantly changing future. We will address issues such as locating your runaway teen, family crisis intervention, building self-esteem, dealing with addictions, and much, much more, which each of us, Alan and myself, who's not with us today, as he's out in the field doing the good works, having over 30 years' experience working with families in crisis, we have been fortunate to meet and work with some of the top professionals in many of the helping fields and authors sharing valuable stories and helpful information as our guest today which the topic is Taming Your Outer Child, which is going to be some very phenomenal information. It's going to be great. You know, but we're working to keep your family and mine mentally, physically, and spiritually sound. And, you know, bottom line, trying to make this place, this world, a better place for all of us. We'll continue to bring you some of these incredibly talented and caring people each week as we bring you dun, 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 answers for the family on LA Talk Radio. Well, our guest today. Oh, let me one 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 topic, one note. The show producer gave me a bit of advice and says, Marvin, the intro is a little bit too long. Says you're you're talking too much. And I said, hmm. But you know what? A great learner is a great listener who applies the information. So I'm keeping it short so we can get right into the subject matter here. And I appreciate the input. Otherwise, being a lifelong learner. But our topic today is taming your outer child. Our guest today is psychotherapist Susan Anderson, who is the author of Taming Your Outer Child, as well as The Journey from Abandonment to Healing, which sold over 125,000 copies. As the founder of the Outer Child and Abandonment Recovery Movements, she has devoted the past 30 years of clinical experience and research to helping people resolve abandonment and overcome self-sabotage. Hmm, self-sabotage. Interesting. The topic, like I said earlier, which is her book, Taming Your Outer Child. Susan, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Marvin? I am well. I am well. Um, how about yourself? I'm very well myself. You know, I just I just get excited when I can wake up each morning, you know, and, and 
whether I'm in a good attitude or bad attitude, at least I'm still around to work on it, you know? That's right. We're here to work on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, Tame Me Out of Child. Um, let, me, let me ask you this, Susan. What, is the, what does that mean, the outer child? How does that, re- how does that relate to self-sabotage? Well, the outer child is the part of us that sabotages our best goals. You know, it's the part that breaks our diet and gets attracted to all the wrong people. Mm. The part that runs up our credit card. You know, it's the part that gets addicted and does overdoes it and underdoes it. It's the part that doesn't express anger appropriately when we should, and we, we clam up when we should be expressing ourselves, and then we rant and rave when we should be trying to control ourselves. It's the nemesis in the personality. Hmm. Sounds like too sometimes that that displaced anger. You know, when we should appropriately uh, appropriately display the anger. You know, in, in a in a good fashion. We don't. We hold on to it. We suppress it. And then at the wrong place, at the wrong time, at the wrong person, which could be a loved one, we just unload. Right. Anger is a really tough emotion, so it's it's very, um, very common that a lot of people don't know how to express anger directly to someone, you know, appropriately, just explaining that such and such made them feel angry and trying to work it through. So they just, they kind of shy away from expressing it directly and it comes out sideways. And when it comes out in a way that isn't good, you know, for our relationships and isn't good for ourselves, we call that outer child behavior because it's a form of self-sabotage. Okay. Well, how does the outer child differ from the inner child, as you're starting to share and explain? Well, you know, the inner child is all about the emotions, and the outer child is all about the behavior. And, you know, when we're parents, we really, we really have a need when we're parenting our children to separate feelings, inner child, from behavior, outer child. So in our child, when we're raising children and our, let's say, our son hits our daughter over the head, you know, with a book, um, <laughs> we say to our son, we validate the feelings, but we don't let feelings be an excuse for unacceptable behavior. So, the, you know, ideal parenting is to be able to say to our son, um, I know you were very upset with your sister because she stole your toy. Um, and I know you're very upset, but that does not mean that hitting her over the head is an appropriate behavior. Hitting her over the head is unacceptable, and so we have to find a different way of handling those feelings that you have. So that as parents, we're always helping our children separate their feelings from their behavior so that when they get older, they're not just doing things on a knee-jerk basis. They're not feeling peer pressure and just going ahead and using drugs. They're not feeling angry and just going ahead and lashing out. They're not using their feelings as an excuse to act out. And that's what we're always teaching our children, but it's much harder to teach these things to ourselves. Right, right. And then hopefully, I mean, as you just gave that scenario about the son hitting the daughter over the head uh, with the book, hopefully he's not hitting her over the head with taming your outer child, and he's trying to tell her something (laughs) about read this book. Because I think maybe he's the one that needs to read it. 
Well, yes, that's that's true. Now that would be the one exception. If the parent wishes, <laughs> if the child uses that book, well, maybe that's an exception. <laughs> but <laughs> well, that means that he was an active listener. He's like, I I read I read the book. I understand. You know what? I need to get this message across. So I'm going to hit over the head with her and make it real blatant. Read this book. <laughs> Which is so typical of how it works when we try to straighten out our self-sabotage. We don't want to act out our feelings, you know, our inner child feelings, inappropriately. But sometimes when we try to find alternative ways of acting, they're just as, as you know, as bad as for us in the long run. Right. So that right. when we try to, let's say we're in a relationship and we're feeling insecure, so we decide, okay, I'm not going to get angry, you know, tonight on my date. I'm not going to be, you know, angry and, and, and pick fights with my partner. Instead, I'm going to communicate. But we, so we set out to do something healthy, but then when we go to communicate, we wind up crying and becoming needy and clingy, and that doesn't help either. So sometimes when we set out to correct a self-sabotaging behavior, an outer child behavior, we, you know, the first effort doesn't come out quite the way we planned. Right, right, okay. Well, let me, let me, this, you said something, maybe we can park there for a minute, which I think is important, and you can, and cue me in, as I'm kind of going through your book, and um, as I have been reading through it, and something that really kind of jumps out at me, um, like a sore throat, is, as you, as you hit the nail on the head, you know, the outer, the outer child in relationships. I mean, that seems to be, if I could think of, you know, I mean, because if we look at self-sabotage and these other areas, but to me it's relationships is paramount to healthy living. I mean, part of, you know, we all have these relationships, whether it's husband and wife or parent to child or, or grown adults, and but relationships are important, and maybe you can expound on that. Well, and I and I agree with you. I think that the, probably one of the, the key places that people feel the most pain is in their relationships. When they sabotage their relationships, they're really in agony over with regret um, because relationships are those things that help us feel connected and whole, and they, they really are the source of most of our happiness. And yet the number one place that we tend to sabotage ourselves is in the area of relationships. So it's a big issue. And, I mean, just to name one kind of outer child form of self-sabotage is being attracted to the unavailable. Um, Mm. Yeah. So there are so many people out there. It's a very prevalent thing who are attracted to the unavailable. And then when someone comes along who is available, they lose interest or they believe they never really had interest. They think, well, I didn't realize this person and I really have nothing in common, where there's no chemistry. But what's really changed is that the person became available and now wants to be with them and they lose interest. Why? Because they're attracted to the unavailable. You know, it's it's so common and it it even affects marriages. People in long-term marriages who feel 100% secure with their partner can lose passion, you know, and the grass hmm. starts to get greener on the other side of other the Other side. <laughs> yeah. Or it seems to be greener. 
it seems to be greener because the people on the other side allow you to get into pursuit mode. You have to flirt and be charming in order to win them over to you, whereas your own husband or wife is somebody you're so sure of. You don't have to, you don't have to flirt with them or pursue them. You just have them. And because of that little tendency within, you know, the outer child syndrome, you, you lose interest because you, you're sure of the person. Wow, that's interesting. It's really good. Um, so as, as I'm listening, I'm trying to be an active listener here, and I, and I hear you say this whole thing about the biggest issue is being attracted to an individual who's unavailable, who you really can't have, or for whatever reason, they're already in a relationship, or they're, for whatever it is, but they're just not available, and we become attracted to that person, that's the outer child attraction, and then the person who is available, who's probably the right person for them, they're not interested. Yes, and it's just so, so prevalent a pattern out there. And, you know, people even recognize that they have it, but they still have a hard time changing it. Because when I bring this up, let's say, in, in one of the workshops that I run, you know, half the room is practically jumping out of their seats because they they have the same pattern or they know someone who does. And many of them know that they have the tendency to be attracted only to the unavailable. But they have such a tough time wow. overcoming that. And, of course, we know that if you're attracted only to the unavailable, how can you ever be happy? Because you you, you're never in a mutual relationship. So even when you're you... always facing someone. So and I would even think, too, though, even just like the hunt and the hunt it. Even after you, maybe that person who's unavailable, like you say, become available, and now you, you, you have the opportunity to be with that person, then eventually, after a while, even that person yes. you don't want. Yes. I work with so many people who are victims of abandonment, which is how I got into the area of of trying to find ways of helping people overcome self-sabotage, because abandonment is a source of self-sabotage. We have abandonment issues, you know, sensitive feelings and vulnerabilities around abandonment. We all fear it at some Mm -hmm. level. It's a primal fear. And then that causes us to act out in these patterns. And I have worked with so many people over the years who will start a relationship and at first the person is very, very interested in them. But then as they become attached, that person pulls away and loses interest. And it's because they started to become attached. Attached. And when they became available, the person they they were having a new relationship with lost interest in them. So you can either be the one who's losing interest yourself because, you know, the person's too available, or you can be the one who's left because you're no longer hard to get, you're too easy to get, and the person is losing interest. This kind of seesaw back and forth is what makes the world go round. It's what keeps people going through cycles of reabandonment and in and out of relationships. It's what creates the seesaw dynamics in marriages, and et cetera. It's a very prevalent pattern. Well, you know, I would even think, too, even in that same scenario, even if, if, if that being the case, we have individuals who are maybe in long-term relationships or marriages even though they may not split or they may not, you know, divorce and go to someone else, that that could still be an internal cycle within a relationship, keeping it up and down. 
Yeah, I think probably almost a majority of relationships that that, that in the world have a dynamic. It may not be that exact same dynamic, but there's a dynamic where one person may be more secure than the other person. One person mm. has less of a fear of abandonment than the other person. And that's the one who can sort of like walk away or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, that person feels free to come and go as they please because they don't fear that they're going to be left. Right. There, there's, maybe it's not to an extreme that it causes any pain or really any problem. And it also may, the couple may take turns. One may feel a little bit more secure one month and the next month or year. The next one, the other one feels the most secure. But usually there is a bit of a seesaw dynamic, even if it's very mild. Mild, right, right. Well, I said just interesting, um, as, as you're sharing this, it just takes me to this, maybe this notion or this thought, then how does our abandonment issues you know lead to the outer child patterns because as you're as you're sharing this now i mean maybe you can a little bit you can expound upon that because abandonment becomes major becomes a core root or a core issue in this whole process that uh, for the uh, to me i think as the outer as the outer child yeah abandonment really is the source of it um you can take almost any issue and and get down to the what's going on inside the individual you know what is the inner child within the inner child feeling that makes the outer child want to act out or want to you know not want to procrastinate or avoid or clutter or overspend or overdrink or chase the unavailable you know all of the outer child behaviors What's going on when you look at the core, you find abandonment. The fear of abandonment is something we all have. Every single person on the planet has been born, which means they got thrust out of the birth canal and experienced some trauma. They also went through childhood. They had to separate from mommy and daddy, and they had to go out into the world and deal with kids and teachers, etc. We all have abandonment fear. We all fear that we may not be able to live up to what, you know, everyone's expectations. expectations. We may not be enough to hold on to the love that we need or the job that we need or the position of power that we need, that somehow we'll be lacking something and we'll lose out, that somebody will leave us or fire us or break up with us. And it's a fear that is universal, naturally. Some people have it you know, stronger than others, depending on what they've been through and who their parents were, et cetera, et cetera. But we all have it. And that little fear that lurks inside is at the heart of why we do things like procrastinate instead of make that important phone call or avoid cleaning out the garage when, you know, it would make us feel so good to have an orderly, you know, garage. Garage, or right. Why, or why we, you know, why we overspend or why we overeat and, and why we don't go to the gym the way we had promised ourselves that we would. But inside that is a, is a feeling a fear and anxiety of that we medicate by doing the easy thing, you know, by taking the easy road, by by immediate gratification, which may be something like, let's just not bother to make the phone call. Let's do it tomorrow. Let's mm-hmm. rest. 
know, let's not clean out the closet. Let's uh, not let's not worry about it right now. We won't return the library book, or let's have a piece of cake, or you know, let's go shopping. <laughs> so it's the need for immediate gratification. We're kind of medicating. We're feeding. You know, a, a, a something, a, a burning hole within us that really is, when you boil it down, there it is, that little abandonment feeling, that little tremor going on hmm. inside. And can me ask you this too then, with this, because with, as, I'm, as I'm thinking here, and could that still be in the same vein? Just say you have an individual who... They won't let they won't let individual or they won't let people get close to them, and it's like they always have walls up around them, you know, uh, in fear of people getting too close. Oh yes, that's a that, huge outer child behavior. A lot of people act out their fear that way. You know, we all have unique outer child constellations. We all have our own way of you know kind of getting in our own way. Uh-huh. Um, we're all unique. But some people's outer child builds walls because it's self-protection. It's, it's, it's the immediate gratification. It's like, uh-uh, I don't want to risk it, so how about if I just shut down? Oops, I don't want to risk it. I think I'll just keep to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I won't venture out. I won't share my feelings. I won't, I won't talk. I won't emote. I won't feel. I won't risk it. So those are all outer child avoidance, you know, behaviors that solve the problem in the short run, you know, right. because then we don't risk getting hurt. But yes. in the long run, it leaves all kinds of problems. Isolation, relationships mm-hmm. that have not been formed, or relationships that are falling apart because we haven't shown up emotionally for them. Well, I, 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 it's just interesting because I, I, you know, over the years that I've been involved in with some counseling and um you know, with individuals and something, some of the issues that I have, that I've witnessed, I've noticed in working through us, even from the point where you'll have within relationship, you know, each, the, the individuals blaming the other person, basically it's, well, it's not really my fault, it's the other person's fault, because if they had done X, Y, and Z, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in this position, or I wouldn't feel this way, oh, and never, so it's like never it's, taking responsibility for your own issues. That is such a typical outer child behavior, projecting it onto the other person. I mean, you know, we all do it. I do it. I, yes. I will find myself feeling so critical of something that the other person is doing. And then I, I have to sort of ask myself, could this be something that I'm not wanting to look at in myself? And very often it is. But when we're in a relationship, you know, especially like a close, a love relationship or a family relationship, there are so many vulnerable feelings that go back and forth. And so we simply have that person to project our feelings onto. And it's a very common thing. We displace it and take it out on the person, or we accuse that person of doing the very thing that we are doing. Okay. So I'm, I'm, as, I'm, as I'm listening here, and it's, this is really good. So, and look at my notes, and this whole thing about someone as a, a bandaholic. Oh, yeah. You know, what? So I know you talked about before about attracting, being attracted to the unavailable, but, you know, what makes someone that, that abandonholic? Well, you know, I use the term aholic because I'm trying to imply their addiction. Addiction. I really, yes, because I really believe that we become addicted to the high-stakes drama of pursuing someone, you know, to, for being on the prowl. 
you know, as I said about, you know, we look for immediate gratification. We're on, you know, what the quick fix, something that makes us feel good in, in, in the short run, something that, you know, helps us avoid tension or increases pleasure. And what more pleasure can there be than being on the, crowd, the, the prowl and, you know, being all excited about pursuing somebody? So we become addicted to the feeling of trying to get someone who's a little indifferent to us or maybe maybe pulling away a little bit, trying to get that person to love us. It becomes a game. Unfortunately, it's painful and it's not, you know, it causes a lot of heartache. But even though it does, the pleasurable part of it becomes addictive because it involves the body's endogenous opiates. Opiates, yes. Yeah, and we actually become addicted to the drama, to the high-stakes drama. It's like gambling. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's also addictive, even though we lose. And you know how right. painful that is. So right. It's the same kind of thing. We become addicted to that high-stakes drama. And so this whole thing of getting abandoned and re-abandoned over and over again really, and I call it a band really is a biophysiological, neurological addiction. Yes. Um, and, you know, we do this, we can be in a long-term relationship that is just always producing heartache. It's always making us feel in the one-down position, always causing us to feel insecure, unloved, unimportant, whatever it may be. And we wonder, why am I stuck in this relationship? Why can't I extricate myself from this? And we, if the last thing we suspect is, well, maybe I'm addicted. You know, maybe my body is addicted to the opiates. But in fact... There is addictive processing going on, and the fact that we're still always trying to get love, trying to get that person to care the way we care, that creates a kind of addictive thing of being on the prowl for that person's love. And so we, between the rewarding behavior, you know, scratching the itch of wanting to be loved, and the opiates that it produces, yeah, we we become addicted. Well, yeah, that's just, wow, interesting, too. I mean, because it goes back to the, I call it the pleasure senses, uh, you know, in the brain that, you know, I think about sports, um, you know, have an opportunity to, to play professional sports at one time in my life, and it's almost like I can see that same crazy cycle about, you know, uh, competition. Oh, yes, that's exactly the You same. know, it is it's like on fear, like losing, and, and, you know, and then to me, it's, it's you know, those, those, the opiates, I mean, endorphins are at a high level because this, it, and that's why I see a lot of athletes when, they're, when, the, when the game is over or when there's no more. It's like, it's almost like they're, they hit these real lows. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crash because the the athlete has been high. And it's interesting that you bring up the athletics as, you know, as a parallel to this, because in fact, we all know that that it's painful to, you know, get your body in such excellent shape, but it's pain that we become addicted to because of the endorphins. Mm -hmm. It's pleasure pain because there are all wonderful moments during it and we're willing to put up with the pain. Well, the same thing is true of relationships when we're pursuing someone who we feel doesn't love us and when we're in one of those you know painful emotion emotional relationships it's the same thing and the competition trying to be better trying to be more lovable to get the person to love us is very similar to an athletic challenge mm-hmm. so it really is a similar addiction 
And it's interesting, too, because trying to get somebody to love us, I mean, you know, which I've learned a long time ago, it's like, only thing I really have control over is myself. And then trying to be a better me, I learned a long time ago in relation, when I try to make that person be something, it sometimes was, was for me was the hardest struggle because I ultimately had to come to the conclusion I have no control over that person. Well, that you're you're sort of hinting toward the solution because in fact we only have control over ourselves. And the problem could be that we're in a relationship where we're not feeling someone loves us, or it could be the opposite. Where you know the opposite could be we're in a relationship but we're not feeling our passion. We're feeling mm-hmm. we love the person but we're not in love with them, and so we're wishing that the person would oh, you know make us fall in love with them again. But it so either way when we're in a relationship and it's not fulfilling, we look to the other person for the solution and we try to make ourselves more lovable or more in love. But the solution really is self-love. And the solution has to do with we can only control ourselves and how we treat ourselves. So the program that helps to overcome the the self-sabotage involves starting a very profound new relationship with the self. It's like, you know, we try to be excellent parents to our children. Well, this, this is using those same, you know, good parenting techniques on ourselves mm-hmm. and learning to distinguish behavior from emotion, you know, separate feelings from behavior and learning to have good behavior and have, validate our own feelings. It's exactly the way parents do with children. Children. So, well, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just I was just going to sum up the I don't want to okay. get into the solution too quickly because well, yes. it's, well, it's interesting <laughs> because that you say that. <laughs> because yes. I, I what I was gonna say, I, I am amazed. I mean that this is this the topic matter is really great. I mean it's great, great, great. And we're about halfway through the show, which I can't believe we're we've oh, gone yes. that it's that quick. And what I like to do is spend the back half of the show on the solution. On, on okay. what we need to do right. to, you know, because I know I know everybody wants to. I know every, everybody can identify with what we just what you just shared, because you know we can. And now I, I can, I'm sitting there like, okay, solution. What's the, how do we fix it? No, how do I fix myself? So, uh, yeah. Susan, if you don't mind, I'd like to spend the back half of the show. We're going to take a commercial break real quickly, and we'll come back and we'll get back to how do we fix it or how do we address it to move forward once again this is answers for the family uh, la talk radio and we'll be back in just a moment founded over 25 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis west shield specializes in resolving adolescent issues that negatively impact the family from preteen to young adult we are experienced and qualified to help We offer solutions which include referrals to a network of top professionals internationally that we work very closely with in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, and psychiatry. Our in-home crisis intervention care program helps to stabilize families and bring effective resolution. We are supported by our licensed investigation company that enables us to offer legal and expert services for locating runaway teens and more. Our therapeutic transportation services help to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely provided transportation to specialized schools and programs with unmatched experience and success. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services is the best solution when your family is facing personal crisis. 
Call 1-800-899-8585 and let us help you. We are back and our guest today is Susan Anderson. And as we said, Susan is a psychotherapist and she's practicing out of the New York area. But um, the subject matter is taming your outer child. What great subject matter. Susan, before we go forward, I was just looking at my, some of my notes. I, I, before we get on the, on, on the positive side, um, how do we address the issue to fix or yeah. to, to look at it differently? I, I think we, I want to, I one thing real quick. What is the invisible drain of self-esteem? I mean, I think maybe we could touch that and then go into the solution part, if that makes sense. Oh, you're right, because that's a very important piece. The, uh, the self-esteem is something that we give to ourselves. That's why we call it self-esteem, yes. but it's very hard to do. And when we have abandonment experiences and abandonment fear going in, it's like a drain within the self that drains, it leeches self-esteem. And when we do things to try to esteem ourselves, you know, we take Mm -hmm. up jogging in order to feel better. Better, After a couple of weeks, that's no longer giving us self-esteem because the invisible drain is always trying to leech it away. And that's what the program seeks to plug up so that that esteem can begin to accrue. Okay, okay. That, that that's a good. I think that's a good backdrop. Then, as we um, start to look at, you know, how do we stop the outer child from sabotaging our lives and our relationships? Because that, I mean, at the end of the day, is how you know we. I, I think in my heart, everybody wants to be. You know, you talk about self esteem. Wants to be a better person. Yeah. But there's these things that keep stopping us, like yeah. that outer child. Yes, I think all of us are always fighting our outer child, whether we realize it or not. And some of us are quite successful in overcoming it. All we need to do is become aware of the fact that what we're doing is self-defeating and we overcome it. But many of our behaviors are much tougher than that. They're habitual. They're things so deeply ingrained that they're knee-jerk reactions that we just can't seem to get out of just so easily. So we need, you know, tricky, clever ways of of sort of outsmarting the outer child so that we can go ahead and take positive, constructive actions in our lives. Well, I like what you said about we have to be aware. And and I I, I have the saying, um, because a lot of things that you're sharing, I've had the opportunity to be a master certified, this whole thing in emotional intelligence, and it's kind of sent down the same line of awareness. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't be aware of something. You can't, what to say? You can't be aware to your aware. Yes. You know, well, and so does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think that's, I think that's what happens. We're not. How can we be aware of something if we're not? We can't be aware if we're not aware. Yes. Well, it does feed on itself. And, you know, the more we know about our each, each one of us, about our own outer child characteristics, the closer we are to overcoming the self-sabotage. You know, that's why I have a, an inventory of like over 300 outer child characteristics to help people kind of, you know, get in touch with their own outer child behaviors. But, you know, in overcoming behavior, we don't actually think our way out of it. We do our way out of it. Mm, so the key good. is that we take that awareness that we gain, because awareness is, is the first part of it, and then we put that awareness into behaviors, into actions, because we're, we're training. It's sort of a brain training. We're training yes. ourselves to, to, to develop positive 
behaviors in order to replace the negative habits. You know, we're retraining our behaviors, we're reprogramming them, and in that sense, we're reprogramming the brain. So otherwise, so what, you're, what you're saying, and, and I want to kind of pause here so I can make sure the listeners and it, it's, we understand this. So what we're saying is, it's a twofold, because once you understand it, you know, it's like the, the theory of it. Okay, I understand it, but what ultimately what makes it happen is the application of the knowledge you've gained. Yeah. Okay. It's sort of it's what, it's what has sort of stymied a lot of psychoanalysis um, in the past. You know, the joke of Woody Allen being in therapy for 20 years and, you know, still feeling very neurotically oriented to life. Um, <laughs> It's, but it is possible to gain tremendous amounts of insight but not be able to use the insight. Yes. And the key is here with the outer child, outer child would love to just read books and get smart. Outer child wants to avoid changing behavior, doesn't want mm. to change a thing. You know, mm-hmm. outer child loves its piece of cake and its third glass of wine and its shopping and, you know, it loves to watch the game all day Sunday and put off till tomorrow what it doesn't want to do. Outer child doesn't want to change. But we have to outsmart that and build in baby steps that actually begin to reprogram our behaviors. So the program consists of taking the insight that we gain, and it's emotional insight we gain, Mm. emotional insight, deep insight that goes right to the core, and we take that and we, we build in little tiny behaviors that answer to those emotions and that actually help us to give love to ourselves in a behavioral way. You know, you've heard, and I've heard, we've all heard, love yourself. You know, we hear that all the time. We have to love ourselves. But it's so hard. How do you do that? I mean, it just doesn't happen by osmosis. So what this program does really is it gets you to give love to yourself behaviorally. As opposed to telling yourself in the mirror or just trying to feel it, you give it to yourself through, through very tiny behaviors. And, you know, why are the behaviors tiny? Because if you tried to take big strides, outer child would defeat you. It would sabotage you. So we have to make small, pleasurable behaviors that outer child will say, all right, you can go ahead and do that. That's not going to amount to anything. I'm not threatened by that. Go ahead. But But what outer child is going to find out is that over time, gradually, big changes start to occur. We can turn any behavior around and accomplish just about any goal we have if we take the right approach. Well, let me ask this then, and I'm going to use an analogy, and then maybe you can mirror that with a um, um, a scenario in a relationship to say, I'm going to use this as an analogy. Okay, uh, I'm going to go out and run a marathon, Susan, you know, and I've never done it before in my life, though. But I really, I mean, it's something I really want to do. It'll make me feel good. I mean, it'll make me, I'll feel healthy, you know. I'm going to do it. But running 23, what is it, 26.3 miles, that's a long, that's a loss of, that's a major feat. So I, you know what, I never get off the couch. I keep eating chi- potato chips. I, I keep saying I'm going to do it. I keep reading self-help books to how to start running. And you know, Susan, I just never do it. Right. But then, but then I started to. I figured some. So now I'm starting to take action steps. The action step is, you know what? I'm just going to go walk a block. I'm just going to just maybe walk walk around the block as a start. Oh, yeah, okay. that would that, be an example of a baby step. Yeah. So okay, that wasn't bad. 
Okay, now I'm doing two blocks. Yeah. Now I, and then I, I enter a group that does you know marathon training. They do these little short these little short runs, and I'm getting maybe now all the skill sets. Until eventually I kind of go through this process over time, and I build up, and I have gained all the skills and knowledge and the conditioning that now I'm ready to run a marathon. Well, that's exactly right, because what you've been doing by building up gradually is you've been doing physical therapy, and this program is just like that. It's physical therapy for the brain. And let's just use the example of running a marathon as okay. like a, you know, an actual goal that we have without our child resisting it. So let's say we decide, okay, I'm going to run the marathon. Outer child is secretly saying, like hell you will. I'm not going to get off the couch. <laughs> you, can, you can have all the pipe dreams you want. So then you say, all right, uh, how about if I start out small, I'm going to walk around the clock, around the block. And outer child says, you could do that later <laughs> and tries right. to get you to put it off. All right. But the key the, in the program, what you would do is as you find yourself procrastinating and, you know, uh-huh. not doing it every day like you promised yourself, you would tune in and ask your inner child, that's the emotional part, the, the, the younger inner child, that, like the little tiny boy inside of you who really feels so sad and abandoned and scared and bad and, and happy and excited, you know, has all the emotions, but wants, really wants to feel proud, wants to win a race, wants to feel trim and healthy. Okay, so then you would ask that inner child, how does it feel that, that I haven't yet won that, uh, run that marathon? How does that feel? I feel sad. I feel that you don't really care about me because you don't do it. And then big, the big you, the adult self, would say to your inner child, well, what can I do to make that up to you? And your inner child could say, well, you could go ahead and run and you know your adult self can say okay i'm going to show you that i really care about you i'm going to take an action so you're the the one of the steps in the program is it sounds a little corny to spell it out but when you're actually doing it it's you're following an exercise program you're not just doing this in your head you know it's written out you you actually feel that you really want to go and take care of yourself you really do want to help the little guy out, you know? He's asking for something so small. He's just asking to have his need addressed. So then you might say, okay, you know what? Just for today, I'm going to walk around the block. Just for you, just for today. Not for the marathon, for today. I'm walking around the block because it'll make you feel that I care about you. And it's you showing caring to yourself. Just to yourself. So, Right, so it's it sounds corny to describe it. It is not <laughs> corny to do it. Believe me, when you do it, it's quite profound. But it's a very easy exercise. It's you know outlined in the book, obviously. Right, right. Um, and you do it, and the next thing you know, you find the motivation to take these baby steps. So every day, you tune into your inner child, find out what you can do to make make that child feel cared about, loved, happy, you know, goal-directed, and then you take one small step in the direction of, of helping with that goal. Not a big step. Again, we don't want to get outer child up in arms and have a lot of sabotage. We just want to, you know, do what you were describing before, the gradual easing into it, and we want to make it pleasurable and easy so that all of a sudden momentum is building in your life in many areas because you're not just working on, on, you know, the marathon. You're working on your relationships, relationships and other, you know, your bank account or whatever else. 
Right. And all of a sudden, you start you you feel momentum starting. Hmm, that's good. And that's it's that momentum then you know across the board that continues to propel you forward. Well, it's the momentum that really that really does make the difference. But you can't create momentum out of you you know you can't just snap your fingers and have out of, momentum out of inertia. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just it's just asking too much because you do have an outer child who's going to say, I am not going to permit any momentum to cause me to give up my pleasures. I'm sorry. I love my cake and I love my couch and I, you know, I love my habits and I don't want you messing around with it. So, you, you know, you don't you don't just say, OK, I'm having momentum. You have to build momentum from from starting out with, with some actions that move you in the direction. And some people find that they have to stick at, you know, baby steps in, in a certain goal for, like, three months. Other people take three baby steps and the momentum starts. You know, they start going fast. They suddenly make big strides. But it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there. You will get there. All you have to do is stick with it and, be, and start the program. Yes, that is crazy. I mean, that's really good, good stuff. I, you know, I'm sitting here just listening. I, I, I have, well, you can't. I have this big smile on my face, and it's like <laughs> this is just such good information. And you know, and and I, this which is a reason why people need to go out and get your book, Taming Your Outer Child, um, because I think if they really want more of the details, I mean, there's only so much we could do on an hour show or 50 minutes, technically, um, of of you know of, of addressing these issues. But I think this is kind of tertiary. We get a chance to touch on it. And it, yeah. it should compel people because if people really want to make a difference in their lives and the lives of loved ones, you know, the information is in here. And, I, and um, we have another five minutes. Wow. So well, I, want, I have one question. And then I have, okay. we have, we have um, you know, normally we'll have some listeners that will call in or they'll send in a text or they'll send in a, by email a question. And I want to have a couple questions here. I like to address and maybe get your your input. Um, but my last question is: How can people get help? Let's let's come back to that because I know you have something definitive that you're going to say. And let me let me go to the questions from our from okay. our call letters. Says my 18 year old daughter has always been wise and mature beyond her years, but a few months ago, after high school, her high school sweetheart broke up with her. She slowly began shutting down. I am really worried. My question is, is your book helpful for someone like my daughter's? Yeah, because it deals with the abandonment wound, which of course is what the daughter is is experiencing. Experience. You know, she's that hurting, awful, throbbing wound that really gets bruised badly when we go through a breakup. You know, when mm-hmm. there's rejection involved, and the book the book involves healing the abandonment wound, which is what we do with these exercises. They're very much focused on healing the abandonment wound, so that you flip it. You use that energy, that attachment energy that has, you know, been thwarting you because it, has, it hasn't had the attachments it needs. Yes. You use that energy to start to turn your life around. Right. So I, I, cause I hear two things, you know, the, you know, wise beyond her age, you know, and that sounds like the inner, but then you got the, that outer who, like you said, that abandonment, now just addressing those issues and how that outer sometimes can be so strong and the sabotaging and, 
you know, being self-defeated, which is... Well, if she's shutting down, the part that sounds very outer childlike is that she's all heartbroken inside, and her, uh, little, her child is so, you know, so afraid and so hurt, yes. so lonely, and she's shutting down. That's her defense mechanism. Defense. That's her outer child part that she's shutting down. That's not going to help her in the long run, although it may be good in the short run. It may actually be what she needs to do initially. You know, because you don't want to be feeling horribly painful emotions if you don't have to 24-7. Seven, you can right. shut down a little bit. But, of course, over time, you can't shut down as a solution to life. You need to open up your vulnerability again and risk getting close to people and reaching right. out to people and sharing with people. That's good. So that you have to overcome that outer child pattern at that point. It. Yes. Otherwise, it will cripple you for life. Absolutely. It be, these patterns set in, they become so entrenched, yes. and then we have to fight like hell to overcome them. Yes. Well, here's another question. Well, it's not a question, but someone uh, complimenting. It says, I am a couple therapist in Northern California, and I hear many stories of losing oneself to family and marriage. It seems to be a common theme that is leaving many women unhappy and emotionally crippled as they enter their latter latter years. I think in generations past, when families remained closer, women felt they had more value. Have you seen this trend? And if so, do you think it stems from women feeling a lack of value after children have left the home? Oh, I think that's such a big, huge topic that women can be in such a terrible position when their children leave leave home because they've they've sacrificed. These women have sacrificed the opportunity to really develop themselves in many other venues that, you know, here they are, most of what they had spent their time doing was giving to other people, giving to their children, being of service, being of use. It was terribly fulfilling at the time, having a sense of purpose and being needed. But then those children, if you do a good enough job, they fly out of the nest. And now yes. Who are you? What have you developed? And it's such a difficult moment in a woman's life to try to fill that void. And, the, you know, when you think about how vulnerable it leaves the woman, you have to wonder about the whole structure of the situation. Was it really set up fairly to begin with that it puts people in that position? So it really looks at a whole variety of choices that people make and around them people in their lives that made on their behalf. It's it's a huge topic and, and yes. one that, again, needs to be handled on a gradual baby step momentum basis because that there's a whole need for a whole big change there. Yes. Well, you know what, Susan? We are out of time. I am. Great subject. And <laughs> real quick, because, you know, if people, they want information, how can they reach you? They can get me at abandonment.net or outerchild.net. Either one. They're sister sites. They both get you to me, outerchild.net and abandonment.net, and they'll find out about workshops and, and the book and all kinds of articles and all kinds of helpful things. Well, Susan, I want to thank you for being a guest of our show. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on. It's very informative. And um, once again, this is Answers for the Family. I'm your host, Marvin Smith. Susan, thank you, and have a great rest of the week. Thank you, Marvin. Same to All you. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.
You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza and Marvin Smith right here on L.A. Talk Radio. 